Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode 135. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what is up? What is up is... We have a good show coming up. The crowd goes wild. We had a great interview before with a freaking rock star, young kid that is up and coming in the ski freaking mountaineering world man that's crazy yeah yes. we'll talk about more about that later but yes we had a great interview with our our new friend robert um and we're just but, having a good day like we're having a good fucking day right we're having a great day i had a root canal yesterday so obviously yeah, brian like, you got your hair like up in like a fucking like almost like a like a mountain peak if you will yeah you got a mountain peak i like it that was a total accident it's like a headphone oriented accident Tribute to Glenn Plake right there. It's a good look for me. It's kind of like a something about Mary look I got going on right now. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I implore you, it is not hair I'm gel. so waiting for Andrea to start fucking texting me right now about this. She is, she is a, a pip, and she has been angry on Instagram because... She is so awesome, um, I gotta say. She's awesome, but she also broke my Telluride glass, so she maybe she's not that awesome. Your little lady is standing out to you. I love it. I love it. She's like, yeah, I broke it. Why you gotta be so, so petty, Brian? You should have bought two. She's like, she's with me. She's that's, like, that's you wouldn't be kind of like a little bitch is. if you bought two of them, right? <laughs> That's why I love her because she's an asshole. She's a tough broad. That's for sure. You break one, you got the other one in stow. Cause like, Oh, we always, we always get like souvenirs in two. The way I look at it, it's a, well, she also broke my fucking <laughs> shot glass of, like last year. That's when you got to go back. to like, Oops, Sorry. I'm like, break the fucking Yankees one. I can get a new one of those at, at the dollar store. I don't care. But the Zermatt one, it's like, you why do go you back? my nice stuff? This is why I can't have nice things. This is you why know? you have to go back every year. Exactly. Every That's motivation to get See, back. She's helping you motivate. I she, like her mojo because she's trying to help you motivate to go back there again. People helping people. That's right. If you will. So thank you everybody for listening. You check us out skibumpodcast.com and you may notice when you actually go to that website skibumpodcast.com oh when you see this the new revised branding should be live. I have been working on this the last 3 or 4 months. It has been a labor of love. It's been an everyday in and out in my mind when I go to sleep, when I wake up passion project like mario and i have gone over this stuff and we've talked about it but i have been actually like in the weeds building this website out the last couple months and uh, i'm super excited for everyone to check it out because it's new it's beautiful i think the logo is awesome that's already out there we had it there for the last couple weeks the new branding the new typography the new colors everything it's a tweak on the old look you know it's not like a ridiculous crazy new design but i think the new look is uh is is pretty it's pretty special it's pretty beautiful and i'm excited for people to check it out we're gonna start rolling out the new logo onto all the socials too it looks pretty dope i gotta say brian did a lot of good work on that thanks man yeah i um it, again it was a labor of love like i really i really want this to to be beautiful to be awesome for something people that actually want to go check out every week. You know, we do these podcasts pretty much weekly and I want them to listen to the podcast and 
want to check out the site because each, you know, we do a, a different, you know, there's a new page for every episode and we have the links to all the stuff that we talk about, but also, you know, I try to create uh, an interesting, you know, they call it a featured image for each episode that's topical and fun and cool to check out. And then, you know, have it part of the design for each one of those pages for each week. So, you know, last week we had one, it was the gift of skiing based on the Warren Miller Sweet. article. And I created this cool, like our new logo wrapping paper design for this package, which, which you can order soon through skiwoodpodcast.com Boom. <laughs> for the holiday season or birthdays. Just saying. If you truly love the people you're giving gifts to, why wouldn't you get wrapping paper from your pals, the highfalutin ski bums? Or we might have a box service where we just ship you stuff that's really cool, you know, just do. But yeah, the, uh, like I, I'm, I'm really proud of the new look and design. I think it's really cool. I think it's really modern, fun, interesting, uh, just compelling. And I, I'm, I'm super psyched for it. Um, like I said, I've been working on this for a long time. I'm getting the site launched. By the time this podcast is out, the site should be out there. Um, I'm going with an MVP style, minimum viable product. It needs to be adjusted and tweaked over time. But I think for the most part, it'll be out there. It'll be live. It'll be, there may be some, it'll be like, it's definitely in your face. Like and, Brian's working on it, working on it, plah, it's like everywhere. I'm psyched. I'm, I'm really, I, I'm honestly really excited about it because I think, like I said, the, the branding, the logo, everything is really cool. And uh, I think you guys will like it too. So check it out. Skibumpodcast.com. We're also on the socials. We're going to update with the new logo as well. Twitter.com slash Skibumpodcast. Facebook.com slash Skibumpodcast. Instagram.com slash Skibumpodcast. We are also going to be on the YouTube as I think Skibumpodcast. Mm. Facebook or um, eh, Pinterest highfalutins and SoundCloud is highfalutin dash Skibum. And if you want to email us, as you guys have done for a while now, and we love it, to keep on podcast at gmail.com. We so, need more email. We need more reviews. We need people to like fucking come out and we talk about it. us and like say shit to us. This is what we want. We want full face, full frontal. We want full frontal. I just want you folks to know if you are reviewing, <laughs> if you are emailing, if you are sending us information right now, you are on the cutting edge. You are on the cusp. You are it, you are still, but on the edge of the pre-greatness phase. Once this gets pushed out and live, and we start getting people to listen and pay attention and get real sponsors, we're not going to have much time for the little people. Oh, we always have time for little people. Just might not be as much. Just way less camera time. time. Like camera you. time. We'll still have time. We love you guys. There's no doubt about that. Again, but, you know, it's a time. But it's I'm, I really honestly believe with this next push that we're going to make that we're going to um, we're, we're going to embrace everybody. Put that way, we're going to blow. The, we're going to blow the fuck up. Really we're just going to hug everybody instead of just a few people. We're just going to like embrace everybody. That's what I want to have. I want to have a a monthly hug fest on. Uh, we'll, hug we'll, fest. we'll pick a mountain. Hug fest slash drum circle. I'm calling it right now. November through April, we're going to have like. And oh yeah. We, we talked about it in the last podcast. And I I'll got drama. That's what I'm saying. Freezing man. Not burning freezing man. man. Yeah. Freezing man. We'll have a freezing man. 
best. Like Might every be White month. Walker man in like another like year. That could be us. We could be White Walkers. White Walker. Freezing man is where it's at. Freezing man. Well, chilling man. I like chilling man better. Yeah, that's chilling. That's not bad. Actually. Chilling a lot. You know what I mean? Like you freezing, freeze. Freezing's a little extreme. I don't want to freeze out. I just want to chill. I don't want to get like cold and like because chill. Because it's not like burnt to a crisp, man. Right. And you just want to hug it out. You just want to be able to hug it out. Like you could take him from burning to back to normal. Yeah, burning on fire is not good. Like no when, you're, burn. when you're burnt out, you're done. Yeah. When you're still burning, you can be brought back. While you're burning, you're not burnt. See, that's the thing. Yeah. Yes. Like you can come back from that. Chilling, man. I like that. I like chilling, man. Chilling, chilling. man. All right, so with that, let's start it off like we always do. It's time for our pray today. So I have a lovely Chardonnay from the local 7-Eleven that was really piquing my interest. Did you, was, did you go into the uh, the cellar, the wine cellar at the 7-Eleven? I did go into the wine cellar, and you know what they had in the wine cellar? They had the same thing that they had Four right, next, right, right next to the Four Locos. They had Yosemite Road Chardonnay from California. Um, you know what? At least your 7 have booze. You know what? This Well, this is Florida. So, like, if you go into a 7-Eleven, they, they sell beer and wine. You go into a supermarket, beer and wine. But then if you want hard liquor, you got to go to, like, a special store. So, you can get, like, beer and wine everywhere. So, I got to say, they, they did a good job with this Chardonnay because um, it really hit the spot. Um it's- as I'm drinking out of my Jets mug that I drank coffee out of earlier, it's really pretty, pretty good tasting. Just saying. <laughs> That's a very glowing review of that, the Yosemite. That's the glowingest review I can give on any. Sh- so I wouldn't say it's oaky. I wouldn't say it's fruity. I would just say it's kind of whiny. Um, it's, and it's, it's terrific. It's, it's terrific. Kind of- <laughs> It's kind of white whiny. Um, it's got, I gotta say, it's got medium fruit. Got, is it yeah, oaky? Just, you said not oaky. Not oaky. It's just kind of, and I like an oaky Chardonnay. So I'm kind of like, yeah, that's all right. It's kind of plasticky. It's like Boone's Farm, only better. <laughs> so, hey, so it's worth six bucks a bottle, right? That's what hey. you're saying. I think I actually paid like 12 bucks for the bottle. Worth every penny. Bullshit right there, right? Yeah. And I think while I'm giving this review, I'm actually drinking an old bottle of Oakleaf, which is probably like past its prime, Pinot Grigio. And I think the other one was a lot better. Whew. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle. That's a lot um, to take in as a, as a, as a consumer, as a listener. That's a lot right there. The other bottle was so good. I drank the whole thing. And then I'm really ugly. Yeah. So, what do you got, Brian? Oh well, this has been a journey. This is life is a journey. Actually, and enjoy. I think I saw you like have a little malort before. Like you were in the middle of shit, like trying to figure shit out. I was like, talking. Yeah, I was talking some some smack. I think you used the drill behind you. There's some a, shit going on. The drill. I didn't. I did have a sip of malort, and I have had about four. Monster Orange and Costco Kirkland yeah. vodkas, but that is not what the app right today is for me. Ah, uh, what the is app right today is boom left hand Oktoberfest because as we talked about last week, we are pretty much 
in the middle of Oktoberfest, proper Oktoberfest right exactly. now. Exactly. It's proper. Not like this nonsense of, oh, it starts October 1st, wherever this American Bullshit. gibberish is right now. Yeah. I went to the liquor store last weekend and I picked up a uh, make your own sixer. Mm. So I'm a fan of the pumpkin beers. Don't at me. Pumpkin at it us. up. Pumpkin I, found it some, I found some lovely pumpkins. I got to be honest. Pro pumpkin. Pro pumpkin. If, if, you're, uh, if you're in the States and you have access to anything that New Belgium makes, the Atomic Ranger pumpkin... It's got like it's made with voodoo ranger. The voodoo ranger. Oh my god, you're right. It's the voodoo ranger, but it's like the atomic, whatever they call the it. Voodoo ranger. That line they make is freaking amazing. Like the pumpkin one. It. It's atomic. They call it, and it's got it's made with jalapenos and pumpkin. <clears throat> and I was actually drinking it in the car, which is illegal <laughs> allegedly. And it you was fly like, by like house for like what's up. So you, you drink it and you're like, there's something funky about this. Cause you know, the pumpkin beers, lots of them, a lot of them are pretty generic, but like I'm getting a lot of heat out of here. This is pretty good. And I didn't realize that the only reason I bought it is because it was cold in the make your own <laughs> section. And I wanted to drink it in said car. So I got that as one of my sixes in my make your own sixer. And I was wow. really surprised that one was really good. So I got the make your own sixer. And one of the ones they had there was, you know, because it's, it is, it is the season. I got the left hand brewing Oktoberfest Mars and lager. Now we've talked about it. I think last week, you know, talking about Oktoberfest and usually the beers are a little lighter because, you know, the whole purpose is it is a lighter beer. So you can drink a lot of it throughout the day. You can spend a few hours having a few pints, not a big deal. Left hand brewing decided to crank this one up a little bit because this is a 6.6 percenter, which for an Oktoberfest is pretty heavy. They are using toasty malted flavors that are dominant up front and noble hops lead to a spicy and superbly clean lager finish rocky mountain water malted barley hops and yeast this is actually a very very tasty Oktoberfest. i like the bottle got like the can on it like a thunder can on it yeah it's like the it's got the bavarian flag in the background but it's like they've cranked it up a bit it's like they took a lion and threw him into the Oktoberfest festivities to like see what the hell's gonna happen i'm thinking thundercat definitely <laughs> it looks a bit like Chitara. Yes, it does. It's got lions. It's um like I said, it's it's definitely heavier than most Oktoberfests. Lions and Bavarians. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what they said back in the sixties. Lions and Bavarians. Oh no, my. In the in the forties, you mean? Forties, whatever. I don't I don't fucking know. Yeah, it's um, it's more flavorful and a little a little boozier than most Oktoberfests. That's for sure. Than if you if you're used to like a Sam Adams boozy, it's a Marzen too, right? It is. It's a Marzen Lager, but it definitely is a little boozier than than the what? standard Oktoberfest. But you know, it has that same flavor. Not your little slap fight. It's the bam. You got a little shot across your face. It's Boom. almost. It's a little hoppier than most most Marzins, most Oktoberfests, but nice. it's still it's it's really tasty. Dude, we gotta I, open up like an IPA brewery over there 
They would fucking love it. I've also had six monster and vodkas before drinking this. Boom. My my palate. And also I had a root canal yesterday. So Fuck yeah. I don't know if that affects anything. I don't think it affects anything at all. I was, I was showing Mario on the Google Hangouts. I'm like, I'm like, look at my root canal. I'm like ah, like showing him my my I'm like, mouth. that's terrifying, bro. So one of the things about a root canal now I don't know if you if any of you folks have ever had one of these. If you had one in the last like couple of years, it really it's amazing how far technology has come because it really isn't that painful in general. They numb you up, they stab you. You feel a little bit when they're jamming at your the uh, the nerve in your your tooth root, but for the most part, it really isn't that bad. The worst thing is is they're drilling inside your mouth and the smell of your teeth, them drilling your tooth. It's like a burning smell and you see the smoke coming out of your mouth and that's a smell like you can never forget. And I'm pretty sure, again, this is all... That's what they put into the lore, every like burning cavity. It's the smell of burning bone so it's i can only imagine like burning i can imagine if you were like a freaking again i'm going i got i'm like six drinks deep Do if it, you're man. like a holocaust victim or something and you're probably like your great great grandparents were the holocaust and they smelled burning bodies and like somehow that got into your dna and you could recognize that smell that's that's something that i was like this is a smell you're never going to forget. That's like Malort, dude. I'm telling you. It's, it's not far from Malort. Malort, it's yeah, it's exactly. almost like if you were a like an S&M kind of person and you had like a full rubber suit. Whoa, whoa. burning rubber? Settle down. What's up with that? Say, say, all right, say you were the Nazis raid your house and you were an S&M person and they threw you into a oven. Oh, yeah, a, I like that. Oh, yeah, I like that. And put you in the oven in your S N N outfit. That's horrible. It's the worst thing ever. Terrible. It's terrible. That's right. All right, moving on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I operate. I want to operate today. We have the reusable beer bottle that could change the way America drinks. So now, everybody knows. Like I've said this many times before. Like why the fuck our parents grew up like put a deposit down, like reuse goddamn bottles and like everybody's fine with it. And they got rid of it. So I'm like, I don't know why they did that. But, uh, so this story is talking about like bringing that back. So they're saying Oregon was the last holdout. Um, it was the Oregon beverage recycling cooperative. Um, and they were the last holdouts of it. And they're saying, you know, so you wash out the bottles and, I think there's just so much more energy used in like crushing down the bottle and like regenerating, like remaking a bottle than just like washing out and like going on with everything, you know? So, but you gotta have like a certain type of glass. Like there, there's actually reasons why like every bottle can't be done that way. So they're I'm saying surprised someone from Oregon would be the one that we're stopping. Them. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. So, um, after almost two decades after reusing bottles were discontinued in Oregon, OBRC began revisiting the idea. And then it, I guess it was kind of like a nonprofit, but they, um, 
I wish it was ODBC. I know that'd be great. Dirty bastard brewing. You got you gotta you gotta like work on the marketing because like that would have been perfect. So in a bottle design process, um, with Owens Illinois, Owens Corning Glass, whatever, um, largest bottle manufacturers in the world, which uh, was already pr- processing OBRCs, crushed glass to make recycled bottles. Now this is where I, I have the same comment for. Our friend that works for Amazon, I'm like, you know how many boxes get shipped out and they get crushed and they get made into boxes that ship out? Like, why can't you have a service that unboxes or just like fucking everybody, like put your unused box? Because like I get a big, like a giant box for like a little tiny thing. Like, I don't know. It's ridiculous. I think that's where I started an unused box company. (laughs) Unused box company. Yes. I would be like unusedbox.com. I will pick your box. I will pick out that box and sell it back to Amazon. So anyway, um, so, <laughs> so these guys are doing that with with refillable bottles. Why fucking? Why can't you? Right. So they're saying uh, over time they developed a bunch of prototypes and then led to what they call a small tank of glass bottle that's hefty, reinforcing itself through material alone. So these are some of the pitfalls they have with the reusable bottle washing and stuff like that. So um, after, you know, long story short, they actually developed a bottle. That's a little bit of, they call it kind of a bottle tank. And um, it can actually like withstand like a lot of wear and tear. And they're saying this could be like a reusable kind of thing. So they're saying uh, Bailey, which is the company, um, they kind of started spreading to like a lot of states and they're saying organizations, California, New Jersey, and New York have all experts interest in launching similar operations. Um, kind of like they did in Oregon. So OBRC started these bottles, Oregon brewers started using it. Now the organization is like spreading out and this could be like a game changer. Cause I tell you what, this could be, I really don't know why we don't have reusable bottles today, but it's probably because they're not as sturdy as they should be. And uh, modern technology, man. I like it. Yeah, we, you know, we focus so much on recycling, but if we could just reuse things, it would be a lot easier. So I get, I get pissed off at two things with recycling. One is real reusability, right? And the other one is consumption. So just because you use um, paper cup instead of a plastic cup, doesn't mean you're like being nicer to it means you're being a little nicer to the environment, but what you really should do is bring your own fucking cup and fill it up. So when people go to Starbucks and they're like, Oh, I think I'm like making the world a different place by not using that plastic and they're using a paper cup and I feel so good. Like bring your own fucking cup. That's making a difference. Just saying. That's how I stand. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying here. Um, and I like, I like the idea. I like the idea of people reusing and not necessarily depending. I mean, the same thing too is like a lot of grocery stores, if you bring your own bag, they give you a discount because you're bringing a bag instead of, you know, having them exactly plastic or paper or whatever. It's situational difference. Like if, if you don't have the situation or the ability to, to have reusable, that's fine. Do that. But if I'm somebody that's going on a regular basis and I'm doing my own thing 
and I really believe in like supporting the environment and whatever, I'm going to consume less. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, I'll reasonable. I have a problem with like, so you get like meat at the store, right? It's in plastic on foam and all this other like shit. I just want meat. Just put it in like some wax paper and I'll take it. Goddamn. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Like that's like old school butcher. Just put it in a little wax paper. I'm, I'm fucking gone. You know, it's weird. Just saying. No, I hear you. It's uh, it's, it's tricky. To make I went for one rib right in my hand. One rib. One rib. I'm saying. No, I hear you. From that, though, the Great American Beer Festival has announced its winners. Oh, who's winning? And this is a big event. It's cool because you go to the website and we'll post it in the show notes on the new and improved skibonpodcast.com. Comprehensive list. I like it. Yeah, you can check it out. There's a very comprehensive list and they have it broken up by categories as well. And what's interesting too is it's cool. You go on the list and you can you can actually organ you know, you can drill it down, filter it by type of beer or location. <laughs> And one thing that was very, very surprising to us being ski folk and knowing how awesome the region is, Vermont actually received no awards. Boom. No Vermont beers. What? Won awards in the Great American Beer Festival. Very surprising. The Great Anti-American Beer Festival in the south of... Total Confederate communist. Great Confederate American, the Great Confederacy American Beer Festival. Wow! So if you go to if you go to the site, you can break it down. You can check it out by medals too. They have you know gold, silver, bronze, and they have it broken up by categories as well. I like that. All gold. Just want gold. That's really what matters the most. So to give you guys a heads up of. Ski area ish beers that have won gold medals. We're looking at Uber Brew in Billings, Montana. They won a gold for their Alpha Force Double Tap. Double Tap. There's a few in California and Pennsylvania. So there's only one IPA that won. Um, so Boone, North Carolina, which we'll consider ski Boom! Boom, Boone, the Appalachian Mountain Brewery in Boone won for their lager. App State, motherfucker. That's right. There you go. Shades say. of <laughs> Pale Brewery in Park City, Utah for their Kvelic One American-style sour ale. Let's see, is... Would we consider Winthrop, uh, Washington? We'll consider them ski territory. They won for their old school, old schoolhouse brewery, Hooligan Stout. So congrats to them. Hooligans, you hooligans. Ben, Oregon, Good Life Brewing Company won for their Sweet as Pacific Ale, which is an American style wheat beer. Good folks at Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark Brewing in Helena, Montana, won for their Miner's Gold, an American-style wheat beer with taste. 
Butcher Knife Brewing Company in uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, one for their Sunshine Express, and American or an Australian style pale ale. Wits End Brewing in Denver, Colorado, one for their Jean Claude Jean Claude Von Blonde, which they Belgian <laughs> style blonde ale. BJ's Restaurant and Brewery in Boulder, Colorado, one for their BJ's Quad, a Belgian style double or quadruple. Silver City Brewery in Bremerton, Washington, one for their Foxy Lady, a Belgian style fruit beer. And let's see. Uh, Gilded Goat Brewing Company, one for their Guten Block out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Guten Block. Block. Gordon Biersch Brewery Restaurant in Tyson's Corner in Broomfield, Colorado. One for their Bohemian Pilsner, a Bohemian Pilsner style. Cigar City actually won. It's your neighborhood, Mario. Maduro Brown Ale. Maduro's good, man. That's one. You got to come down. You got to have some Maduro's. We'll go down there. I will be in Florida next week. A little a little far away. Our friends at Snake River Brewing in Jackson, Wyoming, one for their spear gun, a coffee stout. Snake River is good, man. I like Snake River. I really liked Snake River. They were quite delicious. Uh, scrolling down the list. Here we go. Steamworks Brewing out of Durango, Colorado, one for their Colorado Kolsch. Boom. Style Kolsch. Cannonball Creek Brewing out of Golden, Colorado. How about Suck It Coors? They won for their Netflix and Pills, a German-style pills. Nice. How about this? Our friends, 5050 Brewing Company out of Truckee, California. When Rich was here last time, we were drinking beers from 5050 Brewery. They won for their Bonner Hangemate, their German style wheat ale. So, congratulations to the fr- uh, nice. our friends at Fifty Fifty Brewing. High Hops, High Hops Brewery out of Windsor, Colorado. Their Puckerberry gluten free beer. Puckerberry gluten free. Boom. And we're scrolling, and we're scrolling, and we're seeing. Are there any other? You know what? Give it up. Altitude Chop House and Brewery in Laramie, Wyoming. Their Altitude Banquet Beer. It's a light lager. Gold Medal. Again, Glenwood Brewing, Glenwood Canyon Brewing Company out of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. The Show Shown Stout, an oatmeal stout. Banded Oak Brewing Company out of Denver. The Drunkard's Cloak, an old ale. There are a lot of beers who won gold medals. But you know what? We're almost through this list. We're almost done. Denver Beer Company, Canworks, the Graham Cracker Porter out of Denver, Graham. Colorado. That's a good cracker. Yeah. Cracker, 105 cracker. West Brewing Company out of Castle Rock, Colorado. Their apricot saison one, especially saison gold medal. The SKA Brewing Company at a Durango, Colorado. Their Oktoberfest, a Vienna style lager, gold medal. Denver Brew Denver Beer Company again 
but this is the Old Town Arvada location, Arvada, Colorado. Barrel aged Japan's off. Japan's <laughs> off. Nice. Wood and barrel aged beer category. Congratulations. Gold medal. They're playing that one silver. They're playing that one bronze. But we just went over the gold medal beers. Congratulations to all of you guys. The um, I say, honorable mention, Telluride, Colorado. Smuggler's Brew Pub, we were there. The Blonde Betty got bronze. What they win? They won a bronze. Yeah, congratulations to them. Belgian-style blonde ale. And you know what? I'm keeping Hmm. it local. Our friends at Kane Brewing, which are... You know, Kane, head high. Love that. They make some really legit beers there. They won a silver medal for their uh, Night to End All Dawns Wood or Barrel Aged Strong Stout. So, uh, local local beer company to where Brian is located. Fuck yeah. Rides to Kane. There's, um, you know, like I said, it's, um, it's a little bit disturbing. But no Vermont beers won any awards. I don't think special. they were in the mix. I didn't see an IPA section. It's weird. It's uh, suspect. Well, they, suspect. Just a, they just added a um, like a, a New England style IPA category too. Yeah, to New England style IPAs. If you had them, they're they're okay. They're just not as hoppy, and they're good, but they're not like oh, super hot. I beg to differ. They are so delicious. They're my favorite kind of beers. Yeah, they're good. I mean, they're 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 good to drink. Like you drink them all day, and they don't taste. Like- and it's funny because, like, yeah, the 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 double IPAs, the New England styles that were winning were out of California. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. They found a way to beat the system. That's what I'm saying. The man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but yeah, we'll have a listen to the uh, the the podcast show notes so check it out it's keep on podcast.com we'll have it all there let's get into the Kenjula. So the first story which is adorable and i love it federal study finds marijuana 100 times less toxic than alcohol safer than tobacco boom science once again catching science, up yo. With what many already knew, but this is progress, a new scientific study has investigated the toxicity of various drugs and found marijuana the clear winner. It's been found significantly less toxic than all other substances on this list, including not only illegal drugs, but the legal alcohol and tobacco. You know, it's coming to the point now, you know, we're we're in a very strange place in America, in our country right now, where people, you know, we're everyone's taking sides. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the in our country regarding Supreme Court nomination. Every fucking thing. Why do people have to take sides? Why can't people see people for what they are and what they produce? So many we're actually we're actually post politics right now. And so many people are just, it's becoming identity politics versus actual politics. You wear a red suit. I hate you. You wear a blue suit. I hate you. Does it fucking matter? Why don't you listen to what they got to say? Because that's what's really going to make a difference. 
if in the you, world. If you really are smart and you really are above all this nonsense, Democrat versus Republican, you will see that what really matters is is where who is making the money and where are they making that money. And that's really the only reason why marijuana is illegal right now is because of the pharmaceutical industry, pharmaceutical lobbies keeping it illegal. The alcohol companies, the tobacco companies, they're the ones who are fighting this. They're fighting this inevitability of this naturally growing plant providing a service to people, to providing stress relief, pain relief naturally through a plant versus some sort of genetically created pill by insert your name pharmaceutical company that will get you hooked for 20 years and then eventually spread to keeping you hooked on two, three, four, five, six different medications. That's the only reason why this is illegal. People who have were brought up in the, you know, earlier generations, 20s, 30s, 40s, with this reefer madness nonsense, it's all mind control. It's all controlling a narrative. It's controlling the financial incentives of other institutions. They do not care about you, your health, your happiness, your joy, your relief from pain. None of that is taken into consideration. All that's taken into consideration is how much money they are making off of you. And if you can grow this plant legally in your backyard, cultivate it yourself, consume it as needed, they are not making money off of that. And that is why it is a concern, a problem, and why it is kept illegal. It's nonsense. It's bullshit. We've talked about it so many times on this podcast. And the more you read about it, the more you dive deeper into the reasoning and the rationale, the more infuriated and angry you should be. And this is just another example of this right here. Yeah, it's crazy. Like why? Yeah, why? Just why? It's all follow the money. That's that's the greatest gift and the the best way to dive down any sort of rabbit hole. Not even conspiracy theories, but just to in, to educate it's just yourself. A rabbit hole. Yeah, definitely. it's to educate yourself on any topic. If you follow the money, you will realize why everything exists and functions and performs as it does because that's the reason that that pushes and motivates and inspires people is is it making money for me you get to follow the money um so rolling stone had a good article they're saying why legalizing weed in new jersey could change the pop market worldwide so they have a lot of uh you know it's a really long article i think you should read it like if you're interested but they're actually saying um they interviewed the CEO of an edibles manufacturer um, on why his company is expanding to New Jersey. And he said, man, like the garden state is going to become, it could become the center of the weed world because of a few factors. Now, one, uh, one, one is which um, like the income tax and the earning potential of New Jersey is huge. Um, there's a lot of like big earning people, 
pay a ton of property taxes. Um, and they're saying, unlike some of the other states, they don't have some of the boundaries that the other states have. So they could legalize it and, and really absorb like any impact to their infrastructure. Um, they're saying the demographics of New Jersey uh, make it very interesting. They're saying it's heavily healthcare-oriented state. Um, and while they have world-class medical schools, world, world-class biotech, world-class healthcare, um, and universities, the gap is in research and cannabis. So they're saying like, this is the one area they could actually like totally expand the footprint they have because it's big pharma in Jersey. So of course, you know, you, you introduce cannabis and it's like a whole untapped market. Um, as, a, as a New Jersey, as a current New Jersey resident, I'll uh-huh. tell you if there is any place that needs cannabis, it is this state because there are so many people who are so strung out on other addictive, terrible medical products. They need to just chill out and uh, need to, to really focus on what's important. And this state is full of douchebags and assholes. And I will not deny that for it for a second. And cannabis would absolutely help this state no doubt and thanks god chris christie and any of his ilk are out in power right now because that's going to set the set the uh the framework for allowing this to happen and uh, i was reading articles uh today and they're saying that they're looking to vote on this at the end of october so about a month away for legalization and again oh, Jersey definitely gets a bad rap and it deserves probably 85% of it. But there is, there is a lot of good, good, hardworking, hustling people who are looking, and I'm sure some of them are looking for, for some sort of relief, some sort of sanctity help for whatever ails them. And cannabis, I think would be, it would probably alleviate a lot of problems, a lot of health issues for sure. The fact that there's so many pharmaceutical companies who have this state as their headquarters makes me wonder what they're going to try to pull the next month before this legalization effort takes place. Because those pharmaceutical companies, I mean, they make ungodly amounts of money off their products that they sell. And I don't know how they're going to allow this to happen. But I do believe that somehow the people are going to make this work one way or another. So it's funny. So Rolling Stone asked this company, they're like, um, where do you see yourself setting up shop? And uh, how do you think the vert- vertical integration will work? Which is meaning they're doing the whole supply chain where they're growing, processing, and selling cannabis. And they're saying Jersey City is where they're looking at because they're saying uh, Jersey, they do it all themselves. They said they, they have people that have cultivated in Colorado, Maryland, Ohio, and they'll be running the cultivation in New Jersey. And they're also saying with Jersey City being so close to New York City, they're talking that it's right next to Liberty State Park, a ferry ride away from New York City, and mass transit's right there. It'll be perfect to like get in there and like distribute to New York City. So... While they're saying they're not going to distribute across state lines, 
people are going to do whatever they want to do. And it's like right there, just somebody stop away. Or I'll, train I'll tell you that, you know, I was living in Hoboken for eight years and there was a big liquor store that's right outside the Holland Tunnel, which is the Southern Tunnel from Manhattan into New Jersey. There was a liquor store between... So there's a highway that goes out of the tunnels and a highway that goes in the tunnels. And there's a section between the two where they have a bunch of, you know, stores and Dunkin' Donuts and gas stations and whatnot. And the liquor store there is called Byrate Liquors and it is a gigantic store. And the amount of New York plates that you would see who drove through the Holland Tunnel, whatever it is, 12 bucks or whatever drive through to come in, grab their beer, their whatever, their booze, and then drive back into New York. I was amazing. On a Saturday or Sunday, you would see probably 40 to 60% of the cars in the parking lot had New York plates. And that was probably their sole reason because of how expensive alcohol was in New York. They do, you know, that's, that's why they were coming in to get it better selection, better prices. Marijuana, wherever they legalize it first, it's going to be the exact same thing. Massachusetts has legalized it. They're still working through some licensing issues. These places have not converted from medical to recreational. But if Jersey or New York doesn't do it quickly, they're going to start losing money to other states around who are going to do it. It's the same thing every time. Yep. So this is a cool story that a drug derived from marijuana has triggered the first federal shift on cannabis in half a century. What? Indeed. They just announced that this week um, that CBD. Well, CBD is not responsible for getting you high. It's a THC. So if it's all CBD, that's been legalized in a lot of like uh, states right now. Um, but it's cool. So I think, uh, this one is saying, uh, the drug Epidiolex is designed to treat two rare forms of childhood epilepsy using cannabidiol or CBD. And, uh, I guess they concentrate it and they, they use CBD or cannabis to create a drug, a pill. So, which is pretty fucked up. So you create a pill and it's okay. But if you can smoke it, that's not okay. So anyway. It's, it's just, it shows how just insane, archaic and goofy our belief system is regarding the type of, you know, using this, this plant, not this drug. It's crazy. Yeah. So you talk about when, when I used to have strep throat, like when I was a little kid, you used to have a pill. And then people are like, well, you know, they can't swallow the pill because their throat's like, you know, swollen or whatever. So do you have something else? They eat a little strawberry thing, you know, drink it. And it's like, so you could drink it or you could have a pill form, but like they put it in a form that they can charge you like a fee to put it in there. Like what? I don't know. It's weird. That's the unfortunate gross thing about a lot of the, uh, the reasons why the laws are the way the laws are is because of politicking and someone making money off of one thing being legal versus another. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, drug enforcement DEA announced the change to its classification 
of Food and Drug Administration approved drugs. And this has been going on because they approved another drug and there's a second drug they approved. So FDA approved it for human consumption. And now the DEA, which enforces drug law, is saying they're, it's kind of almost like they're saying if the FDA um, classifies it as okay, they're changing their stance on it's it's kind of like they're they're not going to overstep now which is really good so they're saying uh the fda approved the drug containing C- cbd and the dea is saying they're they're not going to like crush it so the dea rescheduled fda approved medications containing the compound um So they didn't reschedule CBD, but the DEA rescheduled FDA, FDA approved medications. So it's kind of like, so because they didn't reclassify the actual drug, the DEA reclassifies how they treat it. So that's really good. And, and they're saying it could unleash a wave of new interest in the potential uh, medical applications of CBD and other marijuana compounds. So very interesting to see that. That is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and they, go on, they talk about other drugs in this whole article. And it's a, it's a huge article, but a lot of good stuff in there. And one last interesting story while we're in the gondola is that a company in Maine, a restaurant, wants to, to use marijuana to ease lobster's pain. And nice. the state is saying just... Let's chill out. Let's not let's not do this quite yet. Why are they doing? I think I say you're dosing the, the people that are eating lobster, but maybe you want to be dosed. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're saying that these um <laughs> the owner of this restaurant says that the crustaceans whose deaths her business is built on is trying to use marijuana to get them high. They have a painless, stress free plunge into boiling water. Nice. I like they're chilling out. Like so, Maine is like the state of which this restaurant exists is saying no. They said the state health inspectors would treat food served to consumers at licensed eating places and affected by marijuana as has been described with the establishment as adulterated and therefore illegal. Oh wow. Can't taint it. You can't. It's yeah. They're you saying can't put your taint on it. They're saying more or less, but they're saying you can't taint it by using marijuana by getting <sighs> these lobsters high before you kill them, which is kind of funny. So you can't just like pour a can of punch in the whole boiling water and expect it. That to would be actually good. be kind of delicious, right? Like a like a, like a like a boulia base of can of punch. Let's go to Ski News. So into the Ski News now. And first up, we got a couple trailers that came about this week. First one, this winter road trip through Europe looks epic. This is from the folks at TGR. We checked out this trailer before, and it's called In Gora. And what it is, is 
these dudes in Europe just taking a month and just going all over the place. 13 different countries, 3,600 miles, documented it in a short film. And it's beautiful because these guys, you know, they, they really, they make these stops and they drop into these areas. And, you know, obviously there's, there's awesome ski and snowboard footage, but they're all about just sharing with their, the people that they interact with, you know, it's a bunch of little kids who may never have, or never had the chance to ski or board. And they you know, show them the way and get them excited about it and get them started on it. And that's really what a lot of this is all about is, is just getting that younger generation fired up, excited, getting them rolling into the the life and the, um, the lifestyle that we love so much. That's sweet, man. All right. Next up, another trailer. <clears throat> um, Ski film called The Bandit is finally getting released. So following a failed crowdfunding effort in 2018. Um, maximize this. All right. The Road West travel crew uh, was doubtful if they would ever, you know, get this thing to see the light of day. So the same on October 22nd, it's actually going to make its debut. Um and there's been a lot of anticipation. So what they did was within the last 50 years of Colorado, um, there's been an additional 100 plus ski areas and many of the hills fell into, dis- uh, fell into disrepair. So what happens is basically they went out of business, like, and there's all these little skiers that just went out of business. So they got a, a, a crew, a bunch of backcountry skiers, and they said, let's just go out and we'll just like ski the abandoned like like resorts. So um they actually went across and they skied all these places, uh, recapped on like, you know, formerly independently owned skiers. Um, and they're saying like they they, you know, they said, while it's sad, it's kind of an optimistic like view of like entertaining like the lover of the snow snow sports industry and like the beauty that could contain. So it's kind of cool. So it's actually going to debut October 22nd and that's what they were looking for. You know, they went to abandoned resorts and just freaking skied him. I'm like, that's pretty kind of cool. It's cool. And you wondered too, like, why are they abandoned and why couldn't they be saved can they still be saved? You know, it seems like a lot of these, you know, they probably need a little bit of money to purchase and, and, you know, fix up some of the amenities and, you know, functioning, you know, lifts and, and whatnot. But all of these could be brought back to life pretty easily. It's just a matter of someone having the money and the passion to, to want to do that. Yeah. It's pretty weird right like i mean there's even like golf like golf resorts that are like closed out so what do you do they close up a golf resort and it just grows over it's just weird like just this is what happens right yeah it's amazing how much work is needed by humans to get these things to be in this condition that we you know take for granted as being normal very strange yeah. Well, that's cool. So look out for that. 
But the Powerball, three hundred million dollars. So maybe one of us will be, or you know, the the podcast will own one of these resorts in the near future. It's quite you possible. Get, you get the Powerball on their van, and you just buy up like ten resorts and make your own pass. That's what I'm saying. The ski bum epic pass. <clears throat> the ski bumic pass. Ski bumic pass. And you don't even have to pay money. You just got to do shit for it. That'd be great. They're like, dude. They're two hundred bucks, and just bring some weed, and the the pass is yours. I get to see you shotgun four beers within thirty seconds. Free pass, whole year. That would be so awesome. Be like the Medici's of the ski bum world, or like yeah. you just like have all this money, and you could just open resorts and open opportunities for folks that that, Dude, that buy with money, and it doesn't take money. It has to have life equity to get in. Like you have to be a pretty cool person. You have to be a baller. You got to do some shit. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like that would be kind of cool. All right. So the good folks at Snowbrains, they did some pretty cool analysis here. Noah, the National Oceanic, or uh, help me is out it, here. Is it A-A? Noah or no? Ah, uh, uh. no. No. Ah. Uh. No, uh, uh. They have the National Oceanogra- Oceanographic. God damn it. I can't even speak right now. We've um, mentioned Noah like 6,000 times in the podcast, and we've talked about what the acronym stands for. No, it's National Oceanic and Atmospheric or Atmospheric. Depends on the administration. It really just rolls off the tongue. Otherwise known as Noah. Noah. <laughs> Otherwise known as Noah. So they've anyway. done some analysis on snow during El Nino winters from 1950 to 2009. Because nice. there is a pretty good possibility of there being an El Nino this season. And but what does that mean every year here? El Nino, La Nina. Like, come on, I want to hear what it means for me. Well, they're saying that if you're reading the climate blog, you've heard that forecasters think that the tropical pacific climate known as el nino will be visiting this winter and one of el nino's common downstream impacts is above average winter participation across the southern united states the result of a stronger than usual pacific jet stream so in their analysis they have a couple of maps and they show the 10 strongest events from 1950 through 2009 versus versus all events. And in the graphic, it shows the difference from the average snowfall. So lower versus higher. And the spots that it shows higher over the entire period looks like most of eastern Colorado, New Mexico, parts of Utah, and eastern California. All right. Those are the places getting the hardest impact. Big they're dump. saying that strongest events, we have some Wyoming action, like central Wyoming, uh, Sierras, so California, Tahoe, Kirkwood. Squaw Valley, all those areas. Looks like Utah and Arizona 
lot of New Mexico and a lot of Southern Colorado, while Northern Colorado is looking a little barren. So if you're in like Wolf Creek, Durango, Telluride areas, this could be a, uh, a, a big snow season for you. Nice. Again, this is Noah. They're very smart people. We'll have links in the show notes. You can check it out and be uh, book your trips accordingly. They're very smart until they're not smart, right? Exactly. All right, next up. So Bodie Miller, American legend, is headed for the Ski Hall of Fame. So um, if anybody doesn't know Bodie Miller, uh, he had a very roller coaster career. How can you listen to our podcast and not know who Buddy Miller is? <laughs> <laughs> hey, people do it. Um, he's way up, way down. Uh, he went world championships, Olympic gold, um, and he went like back up and up and down. I tell you, he did have a real roller coaster. Um, so he's going to be admitted to the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame, um, and he's going to join his teammate Andrew. Weinbrett as part of the 2018 class, uh, capping what, what they're building as one of the most exciting American history careers. Um, and inexplicably like skiing on the curtains run in 2018 in Henneck, shortened downhill probably didn't factor to his hall of fame inductions, but they have like the video on powder magazine had their little, Real thing, I tell you what, it was. Um, I love the fact that it's like a video of Body Miller skiing, but they're talking all in Italian. So you're like, oh, Body Miller, but the great is like it's just going on in like freaking Italian. It's great, magical. So when I was in Cortina, Italy, I had a guide that all the girls on the trip were like, oh my God, this guy's a dreamboat. Of course, we're like fucking with the guy. And he's like, oh yeah, I had a lot of like, girls along the way <laughs> he's like and my girlfriend who's going to be my wife soon and all the girls on the trip are like oh like you can't give up there but the guy was funny he's like uh he was beating Bodie miller in the olympics at the half and then fucking crashed and he was like he was he's like that was his swan song he finished like third in the world cup like two years in a row and he's beating Bodie at the freaking, I'm like, wow. He's like, that's the only time I ever faced him. But he's like, that was his like big thing. He's like, I, I was beating him and I just fucked up. So that's pretty badass though. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Guy was legit. And he was, now he's living at, um, court in Cortina, which is a pretty baller ass ski place in Italy. Um, run a ski shop and running, Things. He's got like he knows everybody in town. He has like, yeah, his girlfriend, future wife is like running the place, like the big restaurant on the mountain. Like that dude is like all hooked up. Love it, man. That's pretty awesome. But his thing was he was beating Bodie Miller, and I tell you what, Bodie Miller, baller as fuck, man. Badass. Everybody's gunning for him. All famer. Everybody's gunning for him. Go. Oh. Ski like there is no tomorrow. You know what? Because there is no tomorrow. Is no tomorrow, Rock. That's right. There is no tomorrow. So now the, the country's only city to slopes direct train service adds new stops. Fuck yeah. 
Amtrak. Amtrak train that goes from Denver out to Winter Park, Colorado. They've announced there's expansion of the Winter Park express train to $2 round trips for the ski season and the continuation of the $29 starting fares. So Winter Park is the only ski area in the country with direct rail service from major city. And in fact, with all rail service to Union Station from Denver International Airport means travelers from anywhere in the world can get to the ski hill, no car required. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. So that's super awesome. So you don't have to drive, just jump on the train, just go. Pretty much, yeah. That's badass. Very simple. Especially if you're flying from somewhere out east or north or south, you can go right into Denver, have your gear push through the baggage handling and pop your get your ride, get your service, and just go to the, the mountains. Just that oh. easy. Like it. All right, so ski team fees. Uh, we can talk about this part. We're gonna shift this for another Skip day. Next one. Skip it. So um, right now, if anybody doesn't know, there's like a little trade war going between the U.S. and China. So right now, Chinese-made bicycles are getting tariffed, and they're getting tariffed like a motherfucker. So the big speculation is stuff made in China is gonna get tariffed. So, bicycles are one thing, but are skis the next thing on the list, which they probably are. So, it's kind of one of the things, like, you don't realize how much shit is made in China. So, if you're thinking, like, oh, yeah, I'm not affected, I'm not buying Chinese skis. In essence, you're buying Chinese skis to produce in America because somebody produces something in China that now is going to raise, like, 300% or some shit, whatever it is, you know? Um, so it's pretty interesting. You know, I know this from bicycling because I have a Trek that has an aluminum frame. So the aluminum frame I have, it's a pretty old Trek, um, was made in the U S. So now if you go out and you buy a Trek bike and it's an aluminum frame, almost any frame you buy, any bike manufacturer, that frame, if it's aluminum is manufactured in China because they have a pretty dope ass way of making it. And they make it really good. And they make it for everybody in the fucking world. So that stuff now is all going up. So it's kind of, um, yeah, they're, they're saying about 10%. They're seeing maybe increase. Um, so you never know. Uh, everybody's watching. Because can you imagine your DPS skis now being another 10%? I can't. But just saying. You know, forces add another 10% just because they're maybe manufactured in China or partly manufactured. Yeah, it's one of those tricky things. Like, you you try to act, ask people what they think and how much more they would spend if it was built in X or built in Y. And people will say particular things, and yep. you don't know if they're going to actually follow through with that belief system. But for, at the end of the day, people always want the lesser expensive option. So, well, here's the thing, though. You don't even know who manufactures your skis, right? So 
You go to somebody like um, K2 and Line, they have a big factor in China, right? So they don't tell you where the ski is made, but I imagine certain runs of their skis may go up in price depending on their supply chain, you know? So it's kind of kind of interesting to see. Like, you'll find out eventually, but they don't necessarily disclose where their skis are made, you know? So very interesting. They definitely give you less information than you probably deserve or need. Yeah. And it goes from everything from skis to bindings to boots to like accessories that go on with it. So it'll be interesting to say like what we're really paying for. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. So that about wraps up the old ski news. So into our main topic. So this week we had a very interesting conversation with our, our new friend, Robert Lester, who is a mountaineer out in Montana. He is doing some some beautiful things out there. He is out there on Instagram and you should definitely follow him at mountain.kingdom97. So we sat down, chatted with him, and we hope you enjoy the interview. So check it out with our friend Robert Lester. So Robert, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So... It's it's pretty cool. We were just saying, you know, on a brief chat, you were like, hold on a sec. I got to go inside. Like, so you just finished climbing, you said. Yep, that's right. Just uh, just doing a little sport climbing today outside of Bozeman. So nice. Beautiful. So tell us a little bit about you. So where are you located? Um, what do you do? Uh, let us know. Um. So right now I'm living in Bozeman, Montana. I originally grew up about 80 miles away in Butte. Um, here, uh, currently, you know, just living life and enjoying it, uh, pretty much a kind of, I think you'd call me a, a mountaineer in general right now. Um, but it all started with just skiing and then wanting to ski bigger and bigger lines that other people didn't ski. So oh, sweet. That's yeah. fantastic. Your Instagram feed was, uh, once you connected with us, cause you were looking at your Instagram feed, you connected with us and we were like, holy crap. Like it looks amazing. You have great pictures. looks like you take some great pictures cause you're in awesome places because of your climbing and, and, and all that, which is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. I always feel that I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I, I get to see things that not everybody gets to see. And I, I want to share that with other people, you know, that's great, man. Yeah, your photos are, I mean, a lot of them are just, I mean, they should be hanging up in a, somewhere with a frame around them. I mean, they're really stunning photos. Do you do any, do you have any sort of special equipment you use? I don't. Um, basically, all my photos that I take are just on my, my Galaxy phone. Really? Um, wow. And then uh, I'm pretty lucky to have had some incredible photos taken of me by some of my friends. Um, yeah, who have some better cameras, but yeah. That's pretty cool. So, all right, let's go into a little bit of your background. So you went to Montana State? Correct. I, I studied snow science at Montana State, and I just graduated this last spring. Sweet. That's a, like the best degree to be able to put on your resume, like snow science. How about that, yo? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> sweet. Great degree for getting outside and, you know, uh, you know, just being – 
being able to learn about things that you're passionate about. So, so snow science degree, like what, what do you really focus on? Like, are you looking at like, like a lot of weather, um, snow, how it acts like avalanche stuff, mountaineering, that kind of stuff. Like, like what does that degree encompass? Yeah, kind of basically a lot of the, the parts that you just talked about. Um, it's part of the earth science program in general. So you get uh, a lot of like general earth science classes. Um, and then you get the addition of stuff like weather and climate, um, snow mechanics, glacial geology, uh, snow dynamics and accumulation, things like that. And it, it makes for an awesome curriculum. That sounds fun. You get to get outside doing that while you're uh, a ton. Yeah. A bunch of the classes are, are structured outside. Um, especially snow classes and a lot of like the, the earth science classes too are at least once a week, you're getting outside and like seeing the actual processes work. Sweet. But was there any of like the local uh, mountains that would be you'd, you'd go to specifically like uh, as part of the curriculum or did you kind of bounce around? Uh, did a little bouncing around, but for uh, like snow science class, the, the snow dynamics and accumulation class, which is kind of the, the capstone of the pro, um, of the degree, uh, we'd spend most weeks at Bridger Bowl. It's a, a local ski resort here out of Bozeman. Um, and they were kind enough to give everybody like free lift tickets for day tickets to go up and we would go up the lift and then we'd tour out of bounds from there and, you know, work on like lab style, but in the field. That's really cool. So did you actually get to, um, like, were you doing any of like, uh, like checking for avalanches, uh, you know, checking the snow dynamics of that, you know, what it would be like, I guess for the avalanche warnings, there's different degrees, right? And then I guess you quantify that and somehow based on the, the makeup of the snow. Exactly. Um, the big things as far as avalanches go are different layers, right? So in the snow, there's, there's different layers caused by different types of snow falling and different types of temperatures. And basically the density changes in those layers is what either forms slabs and then um, can cause avalanches if there's a strong, dense layer above a weaker layer. Sweet. So going back country, you're kind of a good guy to have around because you kind of know like, <laughs> what, what the danger is. That's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, it was really valuable for me from a back point backcountry perspective to not just look at it as like avalanches, but look at um, – the whole thing as a, like from a science perspective gives you a different perspective that you can then bring like a lot of useful knowledge back to the avalanche work you're doing to keep yourself safe in the back country. Very nice. How many people were, uh, would you go on these, these uh, excursions with from class? There were 15 of us. Okay. That's a decent size then. Yeah, there were, there were quite a few. That's what I believe it was. I, I think it was right about there. Oh, very cool. So now it was like, was, did you have any intentions when you went into the program that, Oh, I want to become a professional mountaineer. I want to be a snow patroller. I, you know, did, was there anything you, you kind of had in mind and did it change or did it, uh, did you kind of go down the path you expected? Uh, no. So when I started, it was just kind of, uh, I, I definitely knew that there were some jobs in ski patrol, um, things like that, but more so I, I just wanted to not have a, a conventional job. You know, I, I didn't want to go sit down and work nine to five all the time. And I thought I need to find a way that I can 
do what I love and kind of the saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Right. So like, that's what I was looking for. And, uh, I'm, you know, like, I feel like all of that has led me to the the path that I am on now. So you didn't want to be like a bunch of turds like us that's sitting in an office all day, right? <laughs> Dreaming about getting outside more. Accounting. Somebody's got to do it, right? Credits. Oh, they're so cool and fun. We got to live through you. You know, stimulating. That's, that's what's good that you're sharing your photos, and it's cool to talk to you, and like you know, hopefully keep sharing because uh, it really gives inspiration to a lot of people. Yeah, you know, and and that's kind of the thing. Like I've said, I'm. I feel that I'm really lucky in in an in an opportunity that not a lot of people have. So like. I, I want to share it and I want people to be able to see things that are out there and more so than like live through me. I want to inspire other people to, to want to do like what I'm doing, want to see these amazing things. It just amazes me. Like just talking to you, like even when we started talking and looking at your feed and stuff, like you're, you're at a very young age, you appreciate what you have, which a lot of people, you know, don't have that appreciation and, and gratitude. And it's, it's really cool to have that mindset at, at like a, a young age. So I really, that's, that's the other thing that impresses me, you know? Thank you so much. It means a lot. Well, you too. I mean, you obviously grew up in Montana and you, you have to have an appreciation for nature out there because, you know, you don't, it, we grew up around New York city. So, you know, we have a appreciation for getting away from people because we just garbage. People. <laughs> some of the worst human beings on the planet at all kind of scourge to this area. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a different mentality. And, you know, I, I again, I, I was a late bloomer when it came to, to skiing and, and outdoorsmanship and, uh, to just, to put myself in your place at your age, I was just like, I, I never would have even thought that was possible because again, you know, it's, it's a different environment you grew up around and to, to be surrounded by nature, how you are, I guess you really have to have an appreciation for it and understand the majesty and also the the potential for danger and if you're not you're not respecting what's around you whether it's animals snow conditions cold anything definitely um and like there's a balance you know i i feel that you do get more comfortable when you're like out there but the whole thing is like there's a saying that um if you're cocky in the mountains that the, the mountains will teach you a lesson. But I also have always felt that there's uh, the flip side that if you're not confident in your abilities, when you're going out there, that like you're going to get into trouble just as much. So like there's a happy medium between being confident in what you know and what you uh, like the skills you have, but not being egotistical or cocky. You know, and it's funny, like we, we'll cover, we cover a lot of avalanche stories, like, you know, just doing the podcast over the last like two and a half years, we always come across a lot of um, avalanche stories. And it seems, you know, statistically, they always come out with a lot of people that get caught in avalanches are people that have been doing it for a long time. So I guess they kind of get a little bit complacent, right? It's it's kind of one of those things you just let your guard down for a little bit. And mountain teaches you a lesson that you can't ever come back from, you know? Yeah. And, and we've, we studied a, a lot about those statistics about reasons why, you know, more advanced people or people who go out are often the ones who get caught. And like, there's some different conclusions and quite a few really good papers about like 
what's going on and what the factors are behind it. But like my understanding and like what I came away from it was like, it is a level of like complacence and a level of like, you're, you're not like worried about it every time the way that you should be. And then also that like those people are out there so much more, you know what I mean? Like a guy who goes out twice. Yeah, exactly. The chances that you get caught if you go out twice and they're both low level days versus when you're, man, I really want to ski on this, you know, moderate to high avalanche danger day. Like your chances are just way different. It's like a race car driver, more likely to get into a car crash. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, getting a little bit where people getting a little bit more complacent with the backpacks, the, the ABS backpacks now? Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of interesting statistics about that too. I personally have one because I figure if it can, if it can help me and it can save my life, even on, you know, this low percentage chance, um, then like, it's definitely worth having, like it's worth spending the money it's worth having. Um, but having it doesn't mean that you should go into a rough or a dangerous place, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't give you an excuse to not check the things you, you should check every time you're out. I mean, like you said, Mario, that's a good point because I say people are more likely to get injuries wearing helmets too, because they take more risks. So I'm guessing probably the avalanche backpacks have a, you know, a similar correlation. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the other thing to keep in mind is like a backpack's only going to save you from a a burial death, but 25% of deaths like right off the top are due to trauma alone. Like, you know, I mean, you even see like some of these professional videos now, like, you know, the, the trailers all come out and you see these crazy videos where the, the person's like outrunning the avalanche. I'm like, I don't think they would have done that years ago. I think they have a backpack and they think, well, screw it. You know, I'm not going to get buried, but it's like, it's, <laughs> they're like, you know, trying to, trying to push the edge a little bit more, like too much, you know? Yeah. And, and I think we see that with, I mean, a lot of high level skiers and a lot of mountaineers get caught in avalanches for, for those very same reasons, right? Like there's, there's a, a deal of pushing the limit and, you know, just doing things other people haven't done before. And that drive, you know, can be blinding and dangerous. It's like the, yeah, the ski movie conundrum, you know, you love seeing all those, uh, you know, people going down those crazy spines and everything. And, but you, uh, you know, they keep pushing it and pushing it and, you know, how much can you push it at this point? You know, it's just getting to a point where it's almost, you know, I think it was, uh, was it the one Tanner Hall movie a couple of years ago where they were, um, up in Alaska waiting, waiting, waiting for that, um, for this, for the snow to let up so they could actually go up there. And then they were just, every video was them just causing avalanches. And they're like, yeah, it's almost like disaster porn in a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I remember that, that I believe it was ring the alarm. Yes. Ring the oh, alarm. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the one. Yeah. I remember watching that. And then I remember watching the outtakes and yeah. I think they, they were triggering avalanches left and right. Like snow was just so unstable and yeah, it was just in a bad spot. I think they had ended up leaving and coming back or something like that in the outtakes. I remember. Weren't some of them um, up there for like 10 days? Like some of the folks that were actually camping out. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. And you knew it was going to be ugly. As soon as they, like, there's no way it was going to be stable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's giant storm slabs coming in after, after that many days. And if I remember right, those guys were, they were shoveling out their tents like daily yeah. to keep it from getting buried. Like, 
yeah, yeah there's gonna be some some storm slabs around like the outtakes on those movies are always great because like you see somebody like oh, i broke his arm we're gonna take him to the hospital now like and you don't see him the rest of the movie it's like yeah that's kind of what it, yeah i could believe that happens you know guys mess themselves up Best thing to those movies you know they have all those big name sponsors you know you got yeah you know, what north face mountain hardware all those big companies like they're putting up good money they're like you guys better get out there and get some footage so in a way they're they're almost they almost have to do it just to you know fulfill those obligations to their sponsors which makes it a little you know again it's you know we love watching these movies and you know those guys love making them but it gets to a point where you know how much do you want to risk your life to make a, a ski movie <laughs> Plus, I mean, you're telling me there's there's always got to be an option for some low angle glade skiing that just looks incredible. Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's just me personally. Like, I love the the steep spines in Alaska and everything that has to do with that. But there's like, you know, every year in Warren Miller, there's at least a few shots of somebody just cruising through low angle powder. Yeah, that, that is just like magical. There's something magical about that. Yeah, in the last Warren Miller movie too, they had those dudes who were um, who were snowboarding on those bindingless snowboards. Yeah, um, snow surfers. Yeah, they just had that that sweet powder, and they were just cruising through it. And they're like, you know what? We got sick of trying to like out jump each other and try new tricks. Like we just want to have fun. And that was just a beautiful segment because of that. They just had this amazing powder, and they were just cruising through it, and it looked so awesome. Sweet. It didn't have yeah. to be insane, and you know quintuple backflips over trees you know it was just them having fun and that tra- that really translated well i think in the film yeah and and that really reminds me of a, a quote i don't know if you guys know who alex Lowe is he's a he's a mountaineer that died um a while back but he in his time he was probably the best mountaineer um oh. best climber but uh his quote was the best climber is the one on the mountain who's having the most fun and like that always resonated with me. Like, you know, who cares if you're, you can hammer it skiing or hammer it climbing. If you just hate it every day, like you got to go out there and love what you do. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter how, how good you are if you're loving it. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a great quote. Yeah. I mean, it, it translates to everything, you know, you could be a, you know, guy at an amusement park working the Ferris wheel. You could be a guy skiing. You could be a guy, you know, work at the toll booth, you know, like have the most fun out there, whatever you're doing. And it really will translate. Exactly. So let me ask you a question. So what's, so when you say mountaineer, that's like climber guy, like what, what are we talking in terms of a classification when somebody says they're a mountaineer versus a guide or a backcountry skier, like, you know, mountaineer meaning climbing predominantly hiking and climbing or um so kind of like for me uh mountaineering is like it's kind of the idea of of peak bagging like alpinism um but i like that I, uh, yeah exactly like it's to me, exactly it's kind of the the combination of all of it right like it's the ability to be able to do some climbing um i i like to ski like i love to climb these mountains um and then and then ski down like that's that's my thing that's what i love more than anything right like four hours of climbing for like a 20 minute run right oh, 20 minutes would be nice man <laughs> <laughs> I'm, be, I'm being generous like five yeah, minutes, a, right? a lot more times it's like eight hours of climbing for like oh, wow. 10 minutes of the best skiing and then 
slogging the rest of the way out. But you couldn't get to that. That's the that's the essence of it, though, right? You couldn't get to that any other way. You have to climb it, right? Exactly. And there's there's nobody else out there. Like, yeah. um, and and to me, like, kind of the difference between that and backcountry skiing is to me when I go backcountry skiing, I'm going just to ski, right? Like, I'm going to yeah. do two or three lines on you know a shorter approach, probably a little mellower. Um, something I'm, I'm just going to enjoy my day skiing, um, in the back country, get some powder turns in, um, versus to me, mountaineering is usually associated with a big line far back or with summiting some mountain to, to then ski down. Nice. So you wouldn't stay in, you wouldn't stand in like a 45 minute lift line to get a 10 minute run on ice. <laughs> I would not No. That is East Coast game. That's Vermont. East Coast. I've still yet to yet to make it out there. There's a little backcountry skiing. Can't you ski? Uh, what is it? Tuckerman's Ravine's pretty popular, Tuckerman's, right? Yeah, that's the end of year. Everybody yeah. does it. Our buddy Frank talked on the show about doing that last yeah, year. He, he did it back in uh, I think April of this year. Yeah, and we talked to him about that. And there's actually a couple places they've opened up cat skiing now. I think up at Sugarloaf up in Maine. Um, and there's a, there's a few places back there. You know, it's it is what it is. It's, it's, it can be one. There are some great spots, you know, like JP, you mentioned the glades before they have some of the best glades around, uh, when there's good snow and they get the most snow on the East coast. So, you know, we have some, it's, it's definitely different, but, uh, you know, we, we have some good spots out here, but not like what you have, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, it, mainly in uh, Montana area or do you get around like the West? Have you gone to Europe? Like, like where do you go normally? Um, for me, I've only pretty much skied the West. I was trying to think about this the other day, the farthest East I've skied. And it's probably Red Lodge, Montana. Like it is not very far East. Um, I've never skied Europe, always wanted to. Um, but I've skied a lot in the West and some in Canada. So the the good part is if you ever do get to Europe, everybody will look at you in amazement saying, Oh my God, that guy's going off the trail. (laughs) Europeans, they love their, um, they're on piste skiing. That's for sure. Well, nice. again, probably, you know what it is though? I think it's like the 95% that, that love to be on piste. And then there's the 5% that are super hardcore, kind of like, like you, Robert, or like that. They're like, they want to do the climbing. They, they don't want to just go off piste. They want to do the most extreme mountaineering yeah. possible. You see them on the first gondola and then you see them at Opera and that's it. You don't see them the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. They're gone. Just from our experiences, you see a lot of, a lot of, um, older ladies kind of cruising around on the, uh, the, on the, the groomers in Europe. And then they're at, at pray ski at one o'clock. They just, but again, it goes to that essence of, like you said, they're having their enjoyable day. That that's is exactly what they enjoyment. want. Yep. You know, like you have your enjoyment, like you like being alone, you like climbing, you know, getting to somewhere pretty cool. And they like just staying and have a nice where they go based on what they were taught to do the nice slalom. And it's, it's, it's enjoyable, you know, either way. Yeah. And like I said, that's all that really matters. I mean, yeah, pretty fun. So now, um, you guys got a little bit of snow out there this week, right? Yeah. A little bit high in the mountains. Um, I didn't make it out this week. Last year, we got a pretty good September dump that I got to ski on. Um, kind of the average stuff. Uh, I didn't go out. I heard it was like four or five inches on rocks and Mm, that's always fun. Too appealing, but 
But to um, say you skied in September, that's kind of like a, a merit badge you want to earn. Got to have your rock skis. At least one year. <laughs> it is, yeah. I'm I'm on a year straight. I skied this September up at uh, Mount Rainier. And then last oh, year nice. I skied in Montana um, in a big September dump. So I'm pretty Very stoked. Nice. This is the, the first year I've got every month in a row. So Wow, that's beautiful. Sweet. We got to get you up to, like, I don't know, Washington or... Colorado, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I've I've done some skiing in in both of those places. Um, not a ton, but here and there, nice. uh, it's all beautiful area. What would you say is your your favorite place to ski? Oh, um, that's really tough. <laughs> um, oh man. So right now, uh, I do ski Bridger Bowl some, but I ski mostly at Big Sky. Um, and the tram up there and the steep skiing is incredible. Um, but I've also skied like Jackson was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I do love the, the mountain I grew up on. It's a little smaller. Um, it's called discovery ski area, uh, near Anaconda, Phillipsburg, Montana. But like it, it definitely has a special place in my heart that that's where I grew up skiing, uh, for most of my life. So. That's sweet. Yeah, everybody has their favorite. It doesn't have to be the biggest, fanciest place, but it has a special place in your heart, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to pick. And, and the more places you ski, like, the tougher and tougher it gets to pick your favorite. Yeah, because yeah, you always have, like, a great, you know, you have so many great stories the more places you go to. You know, you have if you have a great day, you have a great day at a, a small place. You know, there's a, a foot and a half dump. And you can have the most amazing day ever. And you can go to your favorite place and have lousy weather. And, but you still, you still enjoy it. But you know, that other smaller place that has the great snow could be, you know, the, your favorite place ever. And yeah, it could be exactly. for that one moment. Maybe that was the best day they'd ever had, but you know, you don't know that, but you just know the day that you were there, it was your favorite. Exactly. Well, even like, so Brian and I went to Jackson uh, Hole, was like two years ago, but I still think the one trip we took years ago to uh, Heavenly, Lake Tahoe, it was awesome just because we were just getting, like we had taken a hiatus, both of us from skiing. And it's like, we got back in, it was like, oh, we connected back with skiing again, you know, connect, connected back with being out. It was awesome. You know, and that kind of yeah. started everything going with everything else, you know? Yeah, I, I listened to that story the other day um, on your podcast, and I, I, I was yeah, I yeah. I heard about it. It's once you connect back with nature, you can't go back, you know. Yeah, it wasn't you know it was by no means the most extreme place, but you know we uh, it was just that perfect timing that you know just getting back into it and just experiencing everything that was ski lifestyle, and it was like I'm I'm never not doing this again. This is glorious. exactly. And to me, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like, like what you just said, the lifestyle, when I heard that story, it was, it was not just that you were, you know, like getting back to the act of skiing itself, but it was like the lifestyle, the the culture, everything that has to do with skiing. That's, that's so special. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. And you know, like, cause again, like before that, I, we really, I mean, you know, I skied when I was little a couple times, but it was, you know, little Jersey, Pennsylvania, Vermont places. And I never really, you know, as a kid, you don't really, you don't get it as much. At least I didn't, I was kind of dumb as a kid, 
But like, as you get a little older and you've kind of experienced different things, you kind of start to figure out your, your way you feel like you belong in the world and, you know, having done other things and then experiencing this, you know, again, ski culture. And again, it's not, it wasn't the most hardcore. It wasn't, we weren't, you know, doing any hiking or anything that time. And, um, I just, I knew there was something that just felt so right about this. And then, you know, you start there and then you go, oh, I love the app scene. Oh, I love the, you know, the, the, the groomers here and this and this. And then you kind of start digging deeper and deeper. And that's when you start going down the rabbit hole. You're like, well, maybe we can, you know, go off the trail here or what, maybe we can, you know, get some gear and go back country here. And then you kind of just, it kind of becomes all encompassing. And that's when you kind of, you know, you've, you encounter people like you who are like, or, you know, the way going out there, extreme mountaineering, you're like, Oh, that's so cool that he's doing this. And maybe I can start doing this too. And, and then you realize how much there is to the culture. It's not just, you know, people just hanging out on the groomers and having a drink. It's uh, there's so much more to it and it's all awesome. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and I love to see how excited everybody who skis gets like, especially it's this time of year. Like it's, it's coming soon. Like, it's like we're, we're, yeah, we're hyping up, we're getting ready, but it's, it's everybody who skis no matter, you know, no matter what, yeah. Um, what brand of skiing, whether you love to carve the groomers, whether you're a racer, whether you love the park, like everybody is waiting for that snow or, or at least waiting for the, the temperatures for the snow making to start. Yeah. That's right. And it's funny. Like I joke with people at work. I'm like, you, your Memorial day is Memorial day. You like going to the beach. Like my Memorial day is Thanksgiving. <laughs> Guns have started. You're like, that's what it really yeah. started. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. So I got a question for you, Robert. Um, on your Instagram feed, uh, Sam Ratch, was he a professor, an instructor coach? Like what was he? Cause I see so, that he did a Muay Thai. He did the Sparta combat league. Correct. That's out of, out of Denver. So Sam is, um, he's a, a professor, a friend of mine. He's a, he's an MMA fighter. Um, nice. Oh, nice. I was, I was an MMA fighter for a while, not a professional like himself. Sweet. Um, I was just an amateur, but I I've spent quite a bit of time working at his gym. Um, and nice. re- really the, the, the awesome thing about Sam is, um, he, he ta- taught me and is teaching me how, how to be a professional athlete. Like even though his specialty is MMA and, I do have some skills in MMA, but that's not where my, my passions and my desires are. You're doing so I, martial arts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Come um, there, you're going to remember that shit, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it, what it's done is it, it's taught me how to, how to be an athlete, how to make the right choices for my body. That's um, really cool. Things like that. And you also, the workout that you're doing, right? It's like it's oh yeah, it's incredible. Kind of yeah. I mean, discipline kind of runs through all the different you know sports. No matter if you want to become a professional, you have to kind of have that discipline. That that's you know, no matter what you're doing. Exactly, and yeah, I I can't say enough about how how great Sam is and how great of a guy Sam has been to me. And right. I I would definitely say like anybody in Montana, no matter like what their um what they want to do athletically should at least like talk to look up sam in in butte very cool all right so mcgregor khabib who you t- who you picking <laughs> oh man so <laughs> that's a it's an incredible fight i've been waiting forever like everybody else um, hopefully no one gets hurt in the next week 
exactly (laughs) exactly to me the the biggest thing is it it's all dictated by where the fight goes um Khabib is a world-class grappler. Like we've we've never yeah. seen anybody as good as Khabib. Um, maybe GSP, but that's even that's a maybe. Um, Connor think- is the one of the best strikers of all time. the The difference is Connor wins fights with mental warfare, and yeah. you just got to see if if Khabib's going to fall into that or not. See, Brian, the problem is, like Khabib probably already got hurt. Like his eyes looking at McGregor shoots. That's just I'm just saying. Dude, Khabib is from Dagestan, man. They're they're way more hardcore there than anywhere else on the planet. So, yeah. You, Have you guys it, ever seen the the video of Khabib wrestling a bear as a child? Yes, that is crazy. It's awesome. That's his dad. Hey, his dad. You know, he does uh, samba, right? That's his his discipline, his main discipline. Exactly. Samba? You mean the dance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he did. No, the, um, who was it? The one, um, the one boxer whose father made him take a year off to do Russian dancing. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't Triple G, was it? No, it was. Um, I can't remember who it was. I heard it on Joe Rogan. He was talking about like, one of the, um, one of the now he's like a, a prominent boxer. His father made him take a year off and do Russian dancing. And he said the amount of the the strength and dexterity required to do dancing actually helped his career tremendously. Taking a year off of oh. boxing. I, I don't doubt it. It's just like football players, you know, you hear them doing ballet. Like, yeah. Wasn't GSP. He was a big uh, gymnast. That was a lot of his, um, his kind of cross training that he would do. And it said the flexibility, the strength, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And it shows in his physique. If you ever look at GSP, it's, it's obvious Fred that he has a City. gymnast body. Yeah. Fred and just like, like a, a perfect kind of just a normal, like what the body's supposed to look like, not freakishly overdeveloped. That's what my wife said too. Yeah. Like we're not watching GSP anymore. All right. We know he's good. <laughs> You're like, uh, honey, you can't watch GSP. Anymore. Watch Daniel Cormier. He's an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, which was the dude that took the piece of his, uh, you got a piece of his lip out. We were watching. Oh, that was, um, Oh, that was Robbie the, Lawler. That was Lawler. Oh my God. He was like smiling. Uh, like the, Oh, that Rory McDonald, Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler fight. That was just that was rough, man. <laughs> that was a long time ago. That's that's a rough photo of him with the <sighs> the huge chunk out of his lip. He's like smiling. You see it like his mouthpiece. It was it was it was rough. Was it was like, like it was like if if like the, you know your dog and you have like a Nerf football and a dog takes a bite out of the Nerf football. <sighs> it looked kind of like that. Yeah. He's like, I'm gonna need stitches. And you know what the best thing was? He won the fight. Yeah. They stopped it because McDonald was bleeding all over the place and couldn't even see. He bled out. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Robert, so what's next for you? What's your, um, what's your, uh, you, you have your degree now. you got your, uh, your mountaineering career. What's, um, what's next? Uh, for, for a while, at least heading that way um, with the mountaineering stuff. Uh, you know, I've been asked a lot since I graduated, you know, Oh, what, what my plans are and getting a job and stuff like that. And, you know, if, if I need to, I, I feel like that that's there and that that's something I can rely on. But for now, I'm I'm at a young age and I'm in a position where it's I'm lucky that I don't need a ton of money. Um, so great plan is to, right now to pursue the mountaineering for a while and do my best. You know, I'm never going to regret putting it out there and trying it. Dude, that is, that that's is a beautiful the thing. Best yeah. attitude I've ever heard. 
money really doesn't buy happiness. It's a, it's the most cliched thing ever, but it's so true. I mean, I see people every day taking, you know, might go to work, seeing these beautiful cars, they got these beautiful suits and they all just look miserable because they're going to a job. They feel like they have to live this lifestyle, you know, like, Oh, well, this guy got a brand new Tesla. I got to get a freaking Maserati. You know, they just, this one upsmanship over nonsense. And it's just, it's, it's so prevalent in this area. They're missing out. You're enjoying it, which is good. They're fake experiences. You're having real experiences, you and nature and just something that you can't put a price on. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So, and, and now that you know us, you're going to have to like, let us know the, uh, mountain reports, um, and the, <laughs> like the, the, uh, status of the mountains out there can be kind of cool. Definitely. You know, we have, uh, we have our buddy Frank who's disappeared for the last two weeks, uh, giving us advice with, uh, with his favorite cannabis strain of the week. Um, you, you're going to have to give us your favorite, like tip of the week. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I can send in a few tips for sure. I don't know how applicable they'll all be, but I'd love to send them in. I'm sure you have a lot of tips on like gear and stuff too. Like that's a whole other section. Like we got to talk about like, cause we always talk about backcountry gear. Like if people want to get involved, like if they want to get into it, like how to get into it. Like, so there's a lot of stuff that we could like touch on just for like the normal person. Like if, if they want to at least experience a little bit of, of what you're doing or a little bit of backcountry, a little bit of like getting off the beaten trail, like kind of how to do that and what to, you know, in a smart way, how to do that, you know? Yeah. And for me, the, the thing would be like, unless you are pretty committed to it and really like know that this is what you want to do, I wouldn't recommend buying your backcountry gear at first, right? Like this gear is expensive. If you're not going to use it, like, you probably shouldn't. So I, I would definitely recommend renting gear at first. Um, anytime you go into the back country that there's snow around, like the most important things to have are your beacon, your probe and your shovel, like average avalanche gear and to know how to use that gear. Like that gear is proven to save lives and, uh, it's, yeah. it's invaluable. Yeah. I think you make a good point, but I think the tough thing is if you don't own it, like if you don't personally own it, it's harder to understand how it works, you know? Like, and that's, that's always a, a tricky thing too. I mean, even if you, even if you rent it or buy it to make sure you know how to use it because the, um, you know, the, the beacons are great, but if you don't know how to use it, it's just like having nothing. And I think a lot of people a, go out there without the experience or the training. Um, We've seen dummies go out with people that don't have any gear saying, oh, no, it's okay. You can just go out. Like, that's just not a cool thing to do. Like, you know, like, it's just not not good because if somebody doesn't have the gear, they're not going to not save themselves. They're just not going to save you, you know, like. No, that's exactly right. And the thing with that, too, is that's the training, too. Like, there's times I've seen where people, one experienced person will bring another unexperienced person Mm -hmm. who who doesn't like, Oh, they have all the gear, but they don't have the training. It, it's not right. worth, worth it. Like, uh, like yeah. You're and hurting yourself when you go out with that person, like it's, it's a team, it's definitely that whole teamwork thing. Definitely. Like with your beacon shovel and probe, you are not responsible for your own safety. You're responsible for your partners if they get caught. Exactly. It's, it's pretty weird concept. Like when you put it that way and people really get it, they're like, wait a minute, I'm relying on you to save me. <laughs> like, yes, that's, that's, you're going to be buried. 
That's exactly it. But also too kind of, you know, helps you determine who you want to go out there with. You know, if you have people who you, you don't think you can rely on, why would you ever go out in the back country with them? No, exactly. And to, to the fact is, uh, the guys I normally go with, um, I have, uh, a, basically, you know, this group of people and, um, the people that I normally go with, we don't o- only go a lot together. We also practice together. We practice using our tools and, you know, things like that. That's cool. And yeah, I, I think it's, it's really, really valuable. Um, if, people are going out there and they, you know, they don't have someone to go teach them. I do think there is value in, you know, buying a guide or especially in the West. Um, a lot of the avalanche centers, like I know the one here does offer, um, either free or pretty inexpensive classes to go and learn how to use your gear, including things like full beacon searches where they'll turn on a beacon and go hide it somewhere. Mm. and then make you find it and dig it out. Like I that's as real as practice gets. I just think there's a benefit too. If you go, especially you're going to a place where you don't know where you are, you've never skied there before. Why would you go back country on terrain that you don't know? Like, it's just like, it, it's kind of cool to grab a guide and be like, you know, pay for the guide, take us to like the cool places. And it, it's nice to say like, this is the kind of scheme we want to do. And you know, we're, we're okay with a little bit of danger. We know how to use our stuff and it's kind of like, and then you have a better time, I think, than really risking it going on your own, you know? Well, you know, I mean, Mario, you know, you know, people from our ski club who have in the past gone off and into avalanche zones and luckily haven't killed themselves. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of times too, you know, I, I understand where people, you know, say you're, say you're someone who lives in a big city and you take one one week ski trip every year and you you get a little bit confident, you get a little cocky, like, oh, I'm gonna go in the back country, I know what I'm doing, I'll be fine. And you don't. You don't you don't know how to use your gear, you don't know how you don't have you the equipment. Don't know the terrain, you know? You could, yeah, you don't know the terrain. You could go just rent, get a form, tell them you know what you're doing, put expert and go out there and get yourself into a lot of trouble. And I know a lot of people do that because again, there are courses out there, but if you've got a one week trip that you ski on, you don't want to waste a day or two taking a class. Um, now that's the kind of person who should absolutely get a guide. But I know, again, we know people who have done this, who have gone out into dangerous zone, avalanche prone zones without any training or any gear. And luckily they have returned from those trips. Yeah. But I, I can, I can absolutely see why people do that. You know, again, they don't want to spend the time or the money. They just want to go out there and rip it up. But yeah. Um, and you know, I, I get it too. And I think we all get locked into those ideas sometimes, but the flip side of that is how much time or money would you spend for, you know, your life or how much yeah. time or money would you spend for your partners? Like, see, that's the other thing. Like it's not even your life. You can you can with somebody else's life. So how are you going to feel when your buddy gets like buried and it was your fault and you can't dig him out? Yeah, well, that's the kind of idiot who would do that. Someone who's selfish doesn't kind of think about the, the the consequences of their actions. Yeah. But yeah, it would be a in an ideal world. You know, we'd all have a little bit more of this uh, this training. And I know we haven't we haven't done the formal training. We did um we actually did a backcountry tour when we were in Jackson Hole and we had our guide and everything. And Tommy Mo. Was, Tommy Mo was our guide, which was pretty <laughs> awesome. And we did. Remember? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. We you could actually go Terrible. hire him. You just can hire him. Like you just go. He's fun to hang out with, man. 
you go on the website and you go, oh, we want to sign up a tour. Like, oh, is Tommy Mo available? It was like a checkbox. You did Tommy Mo checkbox. And luckily he was available when we were out there and he took us well, out. And- you get a call. It's like an agent guy. Like, all right, let me check with Tommy, see if he's available. And it's like, all right, he can do this day, not that day. He's like, but I tell you, hanging out with him for the day, was it was just fun just hanging out with him. Not even the backcountry part was great, but it was just fun hanging out with Tommy. Just a, just a fun dude. And again, you have your little half an hour training and you get to know your stuff a little bit. But uh, it, I mean, obviously it was, it was good. It was more than most people have, which was important. But now we're kind of, you know, taking it to the next level, trying to learn more and be, you know, talk to people like you and, and just, and really understand more about, you know, the dangers, what's, what to look out for, what to be aware of, how to prepare and how to, you know, protect ourselves when we're out there. Exactly. Where did you guys get to go when you did your backcountry trip in Jackson Hall? It was just kind of side country, went off the tram and out the gate and just kind of side country down and back in. Nice. That's sweet. It was good. I tell you the funniest part of time was the coded conversation he had with a friend of his that he saw when we were taking the first gun, uh, you know, the, uh, the tram up, he had this coded conversation where he's like, I can't talk about everything in public, but they were having this conversation about a poker game they had with some people <laughs> that they had to codically hide who they were talking about because they were really high roller people. And it was just funny. It's like, that's just what happens in the town, you know? You know what? Part of the best, part of the best thing about that that tour was, you know, I think we started with there at like seven thirty or something. So yeah. we got on with Tommy and our group of five people, and then like a bunch of other, um, you know, snow uh, ski patrol people. There's maybe what fifteen of us in the tram. Yeah, the huge. So you get to go up with the, the huge tram, which is usually like you know jammed in there with a hundred people, whatever it is. And we had this like totally open, chill tram ride up with Tommy Mo and a few other you know ski patrol. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Worth the price really of admission cool. doing that. Yeah. I know. And then it was magical when we saw there was a dude with an entirely gold suit, like ski. <laughs> and Tommy's Tommy leaning, in gold. <laughs> Tommy's leaning over. You go, Goldie. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, he's like cheering at people like from the chairlift. Like he was just like the coolest guy. It was pretty funny. Yeah, he was a good guy. Tommy Well. Now he's in Alaska. He does the um What's the name of his company? The Heli Company. Oh my god, my brain just turned off. I forget. Yeah, but he's uh, he's living the dream. He likes our our Instagram post though, so you know. Tordrillo Mountain Lodge. Tordrillo, he, yes. He's like That's a big of, deal. Getting Instagram likes from Tommy Mo. I mean, <laughs> you could do worse. Could do. Oh, worse. there's a lot worse out there for <laughs> sure. Legendary skier. My yeah. sister doesn't even like our posts, but he does. So that's something. <laughs> you just give us love occasionally. I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty funny. She's like, maybe I like your posts. Maybe I don't. Yeah. That's pretty funny. All right. So Robert, anything else you want to leave us with today? Um, Words of wisdom, I- inspiration, where people can check you out. I uh, will. Like I said, if, if you want to see kind of the things I'm doing, uh, I mostly just show through Instagram. Um, and like you said, it's, it's mountain.king97. Uh, um, and like last inspiration, it'd be, be pretty simple. Uh, my kind of life motto is enjoy the journey. Like it, it isn't about the destination and it applies so much to me in mountaineering. It's like, Man, if every time I went out there 
And I got 95% of the way there and then realized avalanche conditions were bad and had to turn around and slog my way out. Like I, I wouldn't keep doing it, but you enjoy the journey, enjoy the hike in, enjoy the trip to the ski area. Um, enjoy the bad day skiing or enjoy the lodge on the bad day skiing, but make sure you enjoy your journey through life. Like it's, it's not about the destination and it's not about how it has to be. Dude, you're already like Warmillow reincarnated. What's up with that? Seriously. (laughs) No, you know what the thing is though? Like you have to put it in perspective. Is there ever really a bad day skiing? And most likely most time it's no. Let's just say it's better than sitting in traffic. (laughs) Yeah. I don't sit in much, much traffic, but there aren't many days when uh, I wouldn't, you know, don't want to not be skiing. I mean, no matter what time it is, time it is like you know that's sweet man all right well we definitely got to keep in touch and we got to keep talking because uh i like it it seems like a pretty good uh pretty good pretty good uh update from you i like it yeah i'd I'd love to talk to you guys anytime um i really enjoyed it and i'm i'm really thankful yeah thanks so much for uh for taking time to chat with us and for reaching out we really appreciate it of course thank you guys for having me all right thanks robert take care Thank you for checking out that interview. Hope you enjoyed it. For more information and for links, check it out. SkiBumPodcast.com Under the Ropes Alright, this week we had a big run-up to the Under the Ropes, so we're going to make this quick, good, and freaking awesome, right? So, um, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of talk about stuff and, uh, you know, for when you train and like when you go to gym. So one of the things that came out is, uh, elliptical trainers are not total BS. So I talked to people and they're like, oh, elliptical trainer, I don't feel like I get a workout. I'm like, really? Like, I feel like uh, everything kind of works out. Um, and they're actually saying among, among gym goers and home exercise enthusiasts, um, they remain popular and it's, it's very big. Like, so, you know, while there's a quote unquote hype, it's like a good workout for a lot of people. So part of the reason that it's good is it's less stress on the joints than running or jogging. So it's kind of like a medium between like doing stuff, but they're actually saying it's easier on your back, easier on your feet. Uh, there's no pounding there's no foot pedals. So they're actually saying like when compared to running, the ground force, the ground reaction forces uh, that your body endures when striking the ground are almost about halved during elliptical training and are about equivalent to walking. So the wear and tear is about walking, but you're actually getting the workout of running, which is pretty goddamn dope. So if you talk about that, they're saying they work on your arms, you know, because like they have a little arm thing going. Uh, all in all, they're saying. If you do it, ellipticals give you a great workout. Um, you push hard, less impact. And, you know, they're saying there's no significant downsides. Uh, so if you got to do something, um, tread, treadmill devotees may scoff, but as long as you're pushing yourself, the elliptical offers a great workout. It's easier on your joints, probably better for you in the long run. So I think as you prepare for the upcoming season, get on the elliptical, get on the bike, even get on, get, start running. I, I, I mix it up. I run a little bit more than doing the other stuff, but you still gotta, you gotta, you gotta work it out. 
which was pretty good. What do you think, Brian? Do you do the elliptical? You know, I do the elliptical. And one thing that I do is that I do sprint sessions in the elliptical. So I set up for 10, 15, 20, half an hour, whatever it is. I do at the top of the, the minute. So if it's five minutes, you know, three minutes in, three to 15, I do like 15 second sprints every minute. So, you know, every minute, if you're in 15, 20, 30, whatever minutes, you're getting that number, many of sprints in there. And I feel like that makes a bit of a difference, especially if you're doing it on, you know, and there's different kind of pieces. Like there's like ellipticals, but there's like different kinds. Like there's the ones with the arms without them. I try to do the ones without the arms. So it's more focused on legs and core. And well, there's uh, one with the arm that you could just hold on to the middle part and just fuck the arms and then do it so if you want. Folks who do that, yeah. But I try to do yeah. like zero arms and keep it all focused on legs and uh, and abs. You have to do like 15 second sprints every minute, and it makes a it makes a big difference. You see a lot more sweat on your body on your shirt, and you uh, will will feel impact when you start getting ready for ski season. That's for sure. Yeah, sweet. All right, and last up, man accused of pistol whipping longtime friend over Bruno Mars song. What? Oof. Indiana man is facing charges after pistol whipping his lifelong friend during an argument over a <sighs> Bruno Mars song. This guy, Roger D. Washburn, is 71 years old and has been taken into custody late Friday by deputies from the Johnson County Sheriff's Office after the victim, another man, said they were hanging out at Washburn's home when they started to fight over a song and who performed it, according to the Indianapolis Star reports. The victim insisted the track in question was sung by Mark by Mars, but Washburn disagreed. I want to know who Washburn thought it was sung by. I thought like, like it's Prince. Like I want to hear like the really fucked up thing of like again. I'm I'm several drinks in. I thought it was Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Somehow Mark, Mark Wahlberg disagreed. Mark I'm reporting right now. Mark Wahlberg just Mark fucking Mark and the Funky Bunch. Yeah, well, the Funky Bunch is still waiting to get paid. <laughs> the Funky Bunch is still waiting to get paid. <laughs> if I'm in the Funky Bunch, I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You gotta, you gotta, you hook us up. It's DJ thing, like something, uh, man, something. The article says that that prompted the victim to show Washburn proof that the victim of the song <laughs> was, in fact, part of Mars's catalog. But instead of diffusing the argument. The sound squabble went to another level, and Washburn pulled out a 38 caliber revolver. Fuck yeah. He's listen, like, it's my house. I'll tell you who the fuck sang that song. But like, whatever, dude. Whatever, man. Listen, I'm pro gun, but if you need to brandish a firearm to try to, you know, a, you know try to a get your point across. I'm just saying the minute you pull that out, argument, you just lost like your point. It's just negated. You lost your point. 
you really if if that's what you have to go to 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 like you know justify your argument, you're probably wrong. You're not on point. That's what I'm saying. Even and I like how I said brandish. Brandish. That's yeah, a classy very way. Technical. That's a classy way of saying pull out your gun. Yeah. And that about wraps up the old podcast for the week. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Robert, our guest this afternoon. We really do appreciate your time. It's awesome. Check us out, skibonpodcast.com. By the time you are downloading this and checking it out, the new site should be launched. So let us know what you think, skibonpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the socials, twitter.com slash skibonpodcast, facebook.com slash skibonpodcast, instagram.com slash skibonpodcast. We're blowing up, youtube.com slash skibonpodcast. We're on Pinterest as the Highfalutins and on SoundCloud as Highfalutin-Skibum. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, stay See ya. Boom.